Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hi, I'm Christy Porter from Vector Global Logistics. Thanks so much for joining us for another exciting episode of Logistics with Purpose. And today, I have the absolute pleasure of co-hosting with my team member, Elisa Rodriguez. Elisa, how are you? Hello, Christy. Everything's great. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for doing this. We are really happy to see this podcast. So thank you so much. And thank you, Simon, for joining us today. Yes. So tell everybody who we have joining us and whose um, amazing story we get to share today. Simon, uh, he's a founder and global CEO at Solar Body. So we are more than happy to have have you here today to participate with us on this podcast. So Simon, how do you feel? Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you very much for um, for inviting me along. I'm I'm looking forward to sharing some stories and and um, and uh, talking about the work we do. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to 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 be on your podcast and, and and share that. So thanks for having me. For sure, absolutely. And we have so many questions to ask you. You're doing such incredible work, so we want to hear all about it. But before we get into some of the professional side, um, we want to ask you a little bit about your growing up and your background and um, how you became who you are. So, Elisa, you want to kick us off with that? Yeah. So, welcome again. And, Simon, first of all, please tell us a couple of experiences you had while growing up. What was your childhood like? What was my childhood like? Oh, um, I, was, I had a lovely, very... Very precious childhood. I was I was very lucky. I was born into a um, a beautiful family. I'm the youngest of four children. Um, uh, There's a few years between my elder siblings and I, so um, it was like I had five parents. To be perfectly honest with you, um, but uh, and they laugh at that. Um, but I grew up in the southwest of England, a, a county called Somerset, um, which is very rural. It's a very rural part of England. Um, very idyllic. Um, Lots of old houses and, and old cottages with thatched roofs and and beautiful farms and, and whatnot. So um, so yeah, it was a very idyllic childhood. Um, my father was an entrepreneur. Um, he's retired now, but uh, back then he was a he was an entrepreneur. So um, that sort of entrepreneurship was 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 put into my DNA, and and uh, many years later here we are. But um, yeah, Southwest England. Um, Went to university in London, um, and uh, and yeah, it was a very very special childhood growing up. It sounds like it. it sounds very picturesque. I I'm picturing it in my mind as you're talking about it with the beautiful thatched roofs and everything. Um, I already want to visit. <laughs> uh, so t- tell us a little bit more about those early years. What is there um, significant? You said entrepreneurship was something you learned about early on. Is there something specific that stands out to you? A story that now has shaped who you are? Oh, I think yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a few actually, but I, I just remember, um, I remember the transition from my father being a 
a non-businessman, i.e. working for somebody else and then starting his own business and and um and 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 that the shift that that had on my family and and my father particularly and the hours that he worked and and the pressure that he was under and the responsibility that he took on um not just having people working for him but their whole families and and i remember that vividly um as a young boy five six seven years of age wow. where my father would you know he, he he would work extremely hard to to put um a life a nice life for, for his own children and a nice roof over our heads but also took it very seriously that he had a responsibility to do that for everybody that that worked for him and and worked with him and, and that was probably the most um most lasting memory of of, yeah. of that time um there was a lot of there was a lot of uh hard work and and i think that uh instilled in me a certain set of values in, in ethics and business that um we we as business leaders or, or founders or whatever um have a responsibility beyond the bottom line beyond our shareholders but also m most importantly for the people that are in our teams and in their 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 families and I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned growing up. That's a big one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So if you could turn back time and talk to your old 21-year-old self, what personal or professional advice would you give him? What personal and professional advice? Or... <laughs> okay. That's so deep, uh, right? <laughs> um, that's a very good question as well. Professional advice. Um, well, I, I mentioned I went to university, and and this is this is personally for me, and certainly not for everybody else. But um, I felt frustrated at university. I felt like I was, um, I was like a, a greyhound in in a in a in a cage, ready to go and, and take on the world. And and three years of of study was was preventing that. And and um, so I was building businesses and generating income whilst at university and. And I think the the business world is littered with with dropout university dropouts that have gone on and done amazing things. And and I think looking back, I probably wouldn't have gone to university. Um, okay. So that's slightly professional and personal, I guess, um, because I had ideas and plans that I wanted to implement right there and right then. And and learning about it in a classroom hasn't been anywhere near as valuable as learning about it in real life. And um, and I've certainly learned learned business in 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 whatnot um, through the school of life, and and that's probably what I would tell my twenty one year old self. Even though at twenty one I was nearly finishing university, um, so that's probably what I tell my eighteen year old self. Um, from a more personal level, um, uh, maybe try not to do everything at once. Just mm. you know, slow down a little bit, and there's plenty of time, and there's a long life ahead of you, and um and and stop and, and and take things in every now and then rather than be that greyhound and 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 run as fast as you can and do as many things as you can just just slow down a little bit and and smell the roses so to speak yeah well moving fast and trying to do it all is practically the entrepreneur credo so also makes sense from that standpoint <laughs> yeah that's right um, well, we definitely want to get into Solar Buddy, but you also had a journey from university until you started the organization six years ago. So, what did that professional journey look like for you? Um, so, I, I, I did a I did a number of things. I I, I um, 
had various little projects in various little businesses in the UK before I left the UK. Um, and then I had the great fortune of um, a few circumstances in my life that, that shaped some of my thinking. And one of those was all the way back to being 16 years of age. I, I, um, I was, it was late 1989. So I'm showing my age there. And, um, and the Berlin wall came down and it was coming down and, and I, 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 I took it upon myself to go and experience that firsthand as a 16 year old boy. And, and um, that sort of um, that comprehension and, and awareness of, of two, um, two nations, but two, two, two people coming back together again after years of separation for separation was, was something that really uh, had a profound effect on me. And then I had, you know, rolling forward a few years, I had the great fortune. Okay, wait, let's travel. pause there. You can't just bring up, I was at the Berlin Wall when it was coming down, and then six years later, let's talk, I mean, you were there as part of a moment in history, and of course, today, the day we're recording it was the day, is the day of Queen Elizabeth's um, funeral, another moment in time as well. So what, for those of us who, like Elisa, was not born yet, and those of us who were watching it on TV as a little kid like me, what was it like to be there? What was that experience that yeah tell us more about that uh it, it was it was incredible i mean i i was a, i was at school in the uk and and our history teacher rolled out the tv the old black and white sort of t- yeah. big tv on 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 the wheels and, and yeah. we were sat there and started watching it on the news and and i just felt completely compelled i was fascinated with with the cold war and the iron curtain in itself and how how uh, a country, you know, could be divided into into five and and um, sorry four, and and then a whole city divided into two, and one big huge wall just dividing families. That that to me as a very young boy was very conflicting and confronting. Um, so when when history started happening on TV, I was like, I, I have to be there. I have to I have to understand this. I have to comprehend it, and um, I have to be. I have to immerse myself in in it and, and, and try and understand what's what it must feel like. Um, so yeah, I just I just basically bunked off school. Um, I'm not advising anyone to do that, but um, <laughs> uh, bunked off school, um, which is an English term. So I, I skipped school and um, <laughs> and made my way from from the UK to to uh, Munich in Germany, and then and then up to Berlin from there and. And just uh, joined the crowds and, and 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 joined in on what was going on and met some amazing people that I'm still friends with now and wow. um and and it was a moment in the history and, and I'm proud that that you know I I as a boy had the the the, the naivety but also the bravery to to go and do that and, and 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 experience it and what I experienced was families coming back together that that'd been separated and and people opening their eyes to two different worlds that, that were right next door to each other. And, and and back then, you know, East Berlin was literally like going back in time, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And and if you were in an East Berliner coming into West Berlin, it was like stepping forward in time, 30 or 40, 50 years. And to see those expressions in in the wonder and the bewilderment on people's faces was utterly profound. And and I still remember um, meeting a girl and uh, from East Berlin, and, and I took her into a McDonald's for the first time, and oh, wow. and it was, you know, something so simple and, and basic as that, and um, she she'd never experienced anything like that, and um, that still sticks with me today. So, so a lot of that is 
at the, at the sort of foundations of some of my thinking and trying to build bridges between communities and, and we'll get into that later but you know that's kind of set a set a foundation of, of some of my thinking and how the world should be and you know there shouldn't be barriers and borders between people and families there should be and, and, and people generally there should be unity and, and unification and kindness and in, in a little bit more um, cohesion, I guess. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, you can keep going, but I, I could talk about that all day. It's just <laughs> utterly fascinating. I saw when I was in um, D.C. at the museum several years ago, they had a piece of the wall and all of that, and it was fascinating just to look back and be able to see it, but to actually be there, I can't even imagine. So it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I spent the following three summers in, in Germany, mm-hmm. um, seeing, the, seeing the country come come back together and wow. and people you know again be reunited and, and whatnot and 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 as an Englishman a, an English young man a boy basically um going into areas where they hadn't had any interaction with an English person for you know since the since the end of the second world war you know building friendships with people that that initially despised you um purely because of your your the country of birth and and then you know a few weeks a few months later after you know spending time with with a certain community they you know you're going to the house for dinner and stuff that that was as a young man that that, that helped me formulate my thinking as well so yeah certainly some lessons we could use today mm, absolutely absolutely so what happened after after germany um so i, I finished university and uh I always knew I wasn't destined to remain in the UK. I always knew I was destined to um, travel and experience the world and, and cultures and stuff. So um, I wandered around the world for a couple of years, um, went to some amazing places and met some amazing people and and learned a lot about um, the, the, the world generally and, and cultures and whatnot and, and the disparity of circumstances and, and, and uh, in wealth based on location in the world and, and whatnot and um and then i ended up here in australia which i'm talking to you from now in brisbane queensland australia um and uh yeah met a girl and fell in love and and um <laughs> three beautiful children and and uh um and build a business here here after not uh, about a year two years after i arrived here in australia started a business that, that was in the building industry um i was living in a very small surfing community in, mm. in queensland um i don't surf my children do that's that's my daughter behind me um who just arrived back from los angeles yesterday after a surf trip in california oh, wow. um but um but yeah I, living in a, a little surfing community there wasn't a lot of business opportunities. There wasn't a lot of um, a lot of need for for the for the uh, degree that I had and, and the global experience that I had. So um, so I, uh, I I built a I started a building company and taught myself how to build houses and and develop a building company and and design houses and and um, yeah sort of fell into that really and did that for a few years um, until. Um, until very sadly, very tragically, my, my marriage fell down, fell, fell apart, and um, and there was a lot of heartbreak in that, and and so I, you know, needed to find myself again, and 
find a new direction that, that had a lot more purpose and 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 back to my original values of the world and global citizenship and and you know here we are so yeah i'm curious um also, you talked about, again, you have, I know there's so many gems in there and you are skimming past all these incredible things that I know we're not even catching a glimpse of, but you talked about traveling the world for two years and becoming a global citizen, what that meant to you. Are there a couple of things from, um, and awesome places and awesome people, and it sounds like you're very good at picking great scenery. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, uh, are there a couple of things that stand out that, again, just really shaped you or stood with you um, or that you saw examples of more building bridges that you wanted? to kind of continue delving into that type of work yeah yeah absolutely um so i you know i've been to 106 countries oh my gosh uh, which i'm very very grateful for uh to have the opportunity to do that um that's been over the last sort of 30 plus years but Mm -hmm. um but i think i think different parts of the world like in africa i saw a lot of things that that i saw a lot of community love and and care for each other and and you know Mm -hmm. things that there's no picket fences. There's no separation of houses. There's no, um, you know, there's no things like that. That that was was um, really interesting to me. And, and communal living was sort of, so to speak, and 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 non-family members looking after other, fa- you know, other other people within their community. And and I felt that was that was uh, that was an ingrained sort of concept. And I felt that was really interesting um, as a young boy, young man. Um, you know, Ethiopia, I fell in love with Ethiopia when I was, you know, very young. Um, and, and it's still close to my heart. And then in places like the Middle East, um, that, that back then were still um, not, nothing like they are now. Uh, Dubai didn't exist, you know, um, and, and, and places like that was so watching them grow and change over the years has been quite interesting. Um, and then into India and, you know, the different the different way of living there and and um you know compared to africa that was you know again again really quite interesting and then all the way over to asia where you know so many different countries and so close proximity to each other but but all very different in their own beautiful way and and um the different languages and different religions and food and, and way of doing things and um you know there was times in cambodia back then it, it wasn't too long after pol pot and, and khmer rouge and so there was a lot of um there was a lot of pain and and suffering in Cambodia back then and and you know that that taught me other lessons and then you know you go into Vietnam and we're not a million miles after the Vietnam War and and you know the the travesties of, of what went on there and so there a lot of a lot of things in there that you know, not just the beauty of the world but but what what humans were doing to it as well and doing to each other that that I think um, helped me maybe see the world in, in a slightly different way that, that we don't need to be mean to each other. We can try and be kind to each other, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I look forward to reading your memoirs or and or your photo book when those come out one day. So keep me posted. <laughs> I'll stop interrupting you. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, again, well, talking about solar body again, and it's, mainly focused on fighting against energy poverty. So can you please define energy poverty and what do you do to alleviate this issue? Sure. Uh, I'd be delighted to. Um, so for me, I, 
I, uh, it all started for me with energy poverty um, on October the 11th, 2011. Um, very specific date there. Um, but uh, I, I read an article in in um, in Time magazine. I, I was going through the divorce that I mentioned, and I was in a fairly metaphorical dark place. I was, you know, slightly heartbroken and not seeing my children every day, and and um, and that's very hard for the children. It, it was very hard for me, and, and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, very hard for my for my now ex-wife. But mm-hmm. like it is for anybody in divorce and and whatnot. But um. I'm quite an emotional cat and wear my heart on my sleeve. So um, it, it, I, I struggled with it. And uh, and this idea, this idea of, 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 you know, living happily ever after had gone. So I was in a very dark place at the time. And and, um, and I picked up this Time magazine in my parents' house um, and, and just fell, fell open to this um, article that, that, that highlighted the the headline of the article was energy poverty uh the world's worst form of poverty and um i was like whoa what is this um you know i i i traveled the world i've been into so many different places and, and basically i'd lived in energy poverty but actually hadn't really comprehended it you know um so i i, I dived into this article and it just absolutely spoke to me it 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 it, it i just it it was a moment in time where it was profound for me in 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 really you know i've had the great fortune of meeting the author uh the journalist of that article and wow. and, uh, yeah. and and it just it just described energy poverty and how it affects so many people purely based on where they were born and and for no other reason and and i think we can all describe what water poverty is or water insecurity is in general economic poverty and different things like that and homelessness and everything but um energy poverty back then and even still now is still such a hard thing for people to comprehend um so you know very very highlight um three billion people cook their meals on uh, firewood every day or every evening um you know a few years ago 1.4 billion people that's just now less than 1 billion people use kerosene lanterns or kerosene oil for lighting every day and every night um the fumes from from those kerosene lanterns kills more children in aids and malaria combined every year from from the fuel that they, uh, from the smoke that they inhale um you know the, it keeps hundreds of millions of people in this perpetual cycle of poverty because they're you know they're generally earning between two to three dollars us dollars a day and then they're spending about 40 up to 40 percent of that on um on fuel to see and and and, and cook um which you know constantly creates this perpetual cycle of poverty and and i read this and i was like wow okay you know i thought i knew a little bit but i actually knew nothing and um and the fact that there were so many people in literal darkness and i was in a metaphorical darkness but i still had electricity i still had a house i still had running water and and food in my fridge and and a fridge that worked and 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 that really um was a profound effect on me and and from that very day to now i've devoted my life to um tackling this this issue that we will call energy poverty Mm. it's incredible um Thank you. That's thank you for sharing that. That's incredible work, and I'm excited to hear um, 
more about you. Let's talk about, let's get a little further in. So you've given us kind of the broad strokes of your mission, but how does it happen? How does this, how does energy poverty get alleviated and how does solar buddy in particular, how does that, how do you make that happen? And what are these yellow buckets we see all over <laughs> your social media and website? Yeah. So we, I mean, um, so I, I, I read this article and, and, you know, I studied a, a lot about the issue and, 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 and discovered a few facts and, and whatnot. And um, I ended up designing, um, I, I was always a an inventor, tinkerer, innovator, whatever, um, curious mind, I guess. Um, and so I was always, even as a young boy, just just trying to come up with ideas and concepts that, that may take the world by storm, you know. Um, and back then it was about making money, but but by this point it was about making impact. Um, so I invented, I ended up inventing a, a solution uh, for refugee um, humanitarian tents, a solar powered, uh, solar powered light um, uh, system that 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 I took to the UN and it got picked up by those guys. Um, and that was my first sort of foray into innovation in solar and energy yeah, poverty. That's not bad for your first little foray. Um, <laughs> you just wandered yeah, over yeah. and presented this to them. That's pretty incredible itself. Yeah, yeah, that's literally what I did. I I, I jumped on plane to Geneva and then knocked on the front door at UNHCR and said, "Hey, how you doing? I, I have something I want to show you." So, um, but there's a whole other podcast in that probably. But <laughs> yes, um, but. Um, but ultimately, that that entered me into this world of, of, you know, the the humanitarian world as we call it, and 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 um, understanding the issues a lot more, and, and and discovering why so few people knew anything about energy poverty because the vast majority of us don't live in it, right. and the ones that do don't have the voice in the in the platform to to explain what it's like. Yeah. Um, so. In that world, I I really un, unearthed a, a greater knowledge of of the and, and build a greater empathy of the people that actually suffer from it. Um, and during those years between 2011 and 2015, um, you know, I I lived in Somalia, I lived in Ethiopia, I lived in Iraq, in 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 Chad, and you know all these other places around the world that that are in chronic you know energy. Um, energy poverty, I guess. Um, and I started, um, I, I, prior to this, I'd written a series of children's books and, you know, they, they were, they'd done quite well and they're about keeping children safe and, and, and stuff. So whenever I, I sort of go out and hang out in the communities and, and my curious mind would want to learn and, and, and watch and listen and, and understand how people live and survive in such, such environments, um, I take a bunch of children's books with me and hand them out to the kids and stuff. And um, and it was at those moments where we'd sit and talk and listen and, and read. And then as the sun set, the kerosene lanterns would come out and 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 just the toxic smoke from those lanterns. Um, just and the, the children were so oblivious to that, and they were trying to read and wanting to read and wanting to learn, but they but the smoke was so terribly toxic i couldn't sit there for you know longer than you know a minute or so without coughing my eyes watering my nose running yet these children were just it was nothing to them you know and and um and that was when i decided to move out of the safety 
sort of security element of, of working with the UN and set up my own charity and, and actually do something that had more of an impact directly for children that, that needed it. And and that's where Solar Buddy comes from. And the idea, and, and that's still the, the foundations of our idea, was if we could develop an education program um, for children that don't live in energy poverty, children in America, predominantly children in Australia and elsewhere around the world, Europe, um, where they can learn um, not just about energy poverty, but about global citizenship, about the sustainable development goals, about the environment um, and about culture and about however people and children live in the world. And then part of that learning is I designed a, a little solar kit um, that once built by the children, um, that they'd learned about the issue. They, they made the kit um, and completed it so it would work. Um, we could then donate those solar light kits um, that are completed to children um, around the world that, that actually lived in energy poverty. Um, and if we could do that, and we could do that um, by millions and millions and millions of units, then um, ultimately we're we're educating and creating awareness about the problem with with the next generation, so they're empowered to feel like they can actually solve it, um, along with providing tools for children in energy, you know, in energy poor countries to study, have a better education. So then they feel and, and are aware enough to be able to know that they can help solve it as well. And it all comes down to education and awareness. And, you know, I challenge anyone to read a book in, in the pitch black because you can. And, and we all know knowledge comes from books um, and maybe podcasts and a few other bits and bobs now. But um, but that's the essence of the idea. And and uh, I mapped out on my dining room table in late 2015, and we we went live in in early 2016. And six plus years later, now we we operate in 52 countries. We've donated lights all across the world to millions of children, and and all those lights are stacked in those little yellow buckets that you see. And um, and there's 50 lights in each bucket. And then once those lights are handed out to, to the 50 children, those buckets are, are then converted to water filtration systems. So they sit in each classroom and, and, pure, and purify the water um, for, for the children in the classroom. And, and that's what we do. And, you know, we do it well. Um, I often joke that we are a logistics charity. You know, we, we, we have factories that supply our DC centers and then those DC centers send buckets of lights across the world to classrooms, to corporate conference rooms, to, comp, uh, you know, big events. Yeah. And then they um, and then they get sent from there once they've been quality controlled and checked um, to the last mile, very remote communities all across the world in Africa, the jungles of Papua New Guinea and mm -hmm. rural India and the islands of the South Pacific. And, you know when you look at it like that we are basically a logistics charity you know um and that's the hardest part of what we do but um but it's around you know the i call it bookend goodness but mm -hmm. ultimately we're we're educating hearts and minds both you know with children and, and, and people adults that don't live in energy poverty and, and connecting them connecting them with with the bridge of a light um to children in, that, that, that do live in energy poverty. We know that you already directly expanded your operations in the US. Uh, what are some of your future immediate initiatives and projects? Uh, like, yes. Tell us what's on the horizon. 
What was on the horizon? Okay. Mm. Um, lots and lots and lots of things. We, uh, <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 have a we have a little book coming out, a little children's book. Um, wow! So that's our first one of eighteen that we're currently we're, we're working on another seventeen children's books to tell the story of um, amazing children in the world that help other children with with mm. some of the issues of, of the globe. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm a you know, I'm a I'm a big grown up child basically. So, um, and why write like, a book when you can write eighteen? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I did twelve in my first series, and so um, go go a few more on this yeah. one. But um, but yeah, so we're working on that. Um, but there's you know we're constantly innovating. As much as we're an education charity or or a logistics charity, we're also um, at our core an innovation charity. So. Um, we were constantly developing new products and new solutions to to lift more people out of energy poverty. Um, from from Student Buddy, which is is now live, which is a, a more powerful solar system that will um, that operates as a room light, uh, also as a torch, but also charges mobile phones. Um, we provide them to predominantly young teenage girls. Um, so they can feel safe walking around their village at night. Um, they don't get taken out of school to go and charge uh, mobile devices in, in other villages so they can stay in school whilst those devices are charged at home with their new student body, um, which protects them in, in very, you know, various ways. Um, I'm working on, on a cook stove, a renewable energy powered cook stove and a renewable energy powered refrigeration system. Um, we do we do community lighting and sports lighting, so children can play sport after after the sunsets in remote parts of the world where it's very hot during the day. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, so that's a you know product pipeline. I've developed a a carbon trading platform um, which feeds into our community projects. Um, we we've created a, a a corporate engagement program where where uh people learn about solve the 17 uh uh they learn about the 17 sustainable development goals in certain um like real life experiences and, and examples of that and then they have to innovate solutions as part of their um as part of their team building in, uh, uh, uh day and um we've developed that and that's going really well um and and there's lots and lots and lots of other things we do but um just a typical tuesday for you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but um but we i i have i have unbelievably passionate capable and an inspiring team that that uh works with solar body and and you know we, we we attract some amazing people to come and join our journey and and um and i'm very 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 lucky and, and grateful for, for the hard work that they do and and the passion and, and that they bring to the table every day so um so that's I'm very lucky in that sense. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you. Um, I'm curious. You mentioned, of course, a ton of things. It all came from you know one idea or one initiative and springing out of that. Um, 
Of course, I'm sure there were a lot of challenges along the way. Would you mind sharing some lessons learned, um, you know, either mistakes that you made or something you just couldn't anticipate that you had to pivot for, perhaps like a pandemic, <laughs> um, but uh, just a few things you've learned along the way, especially as a tinkerer, an inventor, a guy who sounds like he's always got, um, you know, juggling a bunch of ideas at once and, and trying to be, you know, bring a team and uh, on board to this and expanding into multiple countries. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, nothing, nothing big and audacious is easy. And that's why um, they're big and audacious and not everyone tries to do them, you know. Um, you have to have a little bit of crazy, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, you know, my personal life has definitely taken a backseat um, for the last 10 years and probably will for the rest of my life. Um, and that's because my personal life and my professional life is so intertwined um that that i live and breathe what i do and and um so so lessons learned um that if you think you've you've uh you've got to the finish line um in fact you've just started pretty much you know mm -hmm. um you have to constantly be ahead of the curve and and always thinking into the future whilst working on the present um you know, I work in in five years in advance in 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 some of the things that we're doing, and then and then build the the steps to, to get there. Um, but um, but I think the the lessons I've learned from you know I've I've started many companies and and I currently run a, a bunch of social enterprises as well as charity. But um, the thing for me, from a charity point of view, is it's incredibly tough. Um, to as a businessman but also a ceo of a charity across that divide between um how to make money and how to uh um raise um donations mm -hmm. and there's a there's a real um interesting sort of dynamic for me that i've i've witnessed firsthand of so many amazing business leaders and, and successful business people um don't look at um founders or or people that run charities or work in charities with the same um the same business respect if that makes sense as they do their peers within the business world and that that to be perfectly honest with you annoys me um we you know i'm 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 able to say that because i, I sit in both both camps um and and i've been successful in both both camps and the thing that I see all the time is if I'm having a conversation with somebody that, that comes from the business world and they don't know that I also own businesses and run businesses that are successful, then there's almost like, a, you know, you're doing good work, well done, um, but do you really know how to scale? Do you really know how to do this? Do you really know how to do that? And that to me is, is moderately patronizing to, to the industry, not to me, but to the industry. And, and there's this concept and notion that people that start charities are only doing it because they have such big hearts and 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 they they wouldn't survive in the business world. And yet running and growing and developing and expanding a charity is a hundred times harder than running and growing and, and developing and building a business um you have no equity to to slice off you have no um you, you, you know you you're constrained by 
far greater and far more powerful government bodies than 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 a biz, than a businesses, a private businesses. Um, you know, you you have to justify and explain every single dollar that is donated to you. Rightly so, completely fair. Yeah. Um, but you but to invest that dollar into hiring the best staff that can make that dollar ten dollars, which means more people's lives are, are changed, then that's that's frowned upon. But if you you know, if you make ten million dollars in your business and you hire the best staff around, then you know that's that's well done. That's congratulated because then you're going to make more profit. Whereas, you know, the 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 concept in charity is you have to do everything on a shoestring, but you have to do it. You know, you have to do more and bigger. And the problems we're solving are far more complex and far more challenging than you know running a, a business that is selling widgets to a market that wants widgets and um that's the lesson i've learned and and i continue to learn that um and i've managed to work my way through that and and you know i'm not i'm not this isn't a carte blanche sort of business is bad and chat you know this is a this is just the reality of, of the mindset is even in the grant space you know you you apply for a grant as a charity and, and they're amazing, you know, the people that pay for the grants and donate the money and, and the philanthropists, they're phenomenally superb and beautiful human beings. But there's, you know, it costs money to apply for a grant. It costs money to report on the grant. It costs money to to manage the grant. It costs money to impact and, 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 and implement the grant. But then the, the, the desire is to 100% of the funds that you receive go to exactly what you know to go to go to the mission and and the the notion of overheads and salaries and 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 scale are just totally thrown out the window and that's the without a doubt the biggest lesson i've learned um i enjoy it now it's you know six years in it's like bring it on you know um i i i sit with the you know sit with some amazing people and it's like look we know what we're doing and they're like yeah we know you know what you're doing so that's you know that's been a a, a a nice outcome but there's so many so many amazing charity leaders charity managers um charity founders that that are doing such great work on such short low budgets and they don't get credit for it and and they should you know they really really should um from a business perspective they really should yeah agree that could be a whole other topic one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um when you're thinking about the idea of giving life to the those who need the most where well i have been working in just one quotation from you it was from Texas to dominican republic so where do you currently ship and how do you make the decision to focus on that specific areas? Mm, I understand that you have like a, the product and you consolidate everything in Texas, but I am not sure if all your lights are there. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Um, such a big need. How do you decide where it goes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, if we could grow. 10 15 times tomorrow then you know hopefully we could sort that out but ultimately we um as, as a charity um and again this goes back to some of the governance in 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 government sort of requirements that we have to fulfill um 
we um, we have to turn away a tremendous amount of local um, NGOs or, or small charities that are registered in certain countries around the world that don't have international or 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 Western charity Western registration. So if they're and and that's not because we don't want to work with them at all. Quite the opposite. It's because we can't work with them because our governance and our registrations won't allow us to work with small grassroots um, organizations that don't have reckon they're not recognized within the United States or Australia or elsewhere, which is incredibly frustrating and, and, and heartbreaking to say no to people. But we are inundated every day from from amazing, amazingly passionate and, and kind people that just want to help their own communities and their own countries. Um, so that's our first filter. Um, is you know can we work with an organization that has um amazing knowledge in in understanding and in, in cultural sensitivity awareness um of what goes on in, in the countries that we want to work with and support um and if they do are they registered in the appropriate jurisdictions that that, that align with our governance requirements um and then we build we build a commitment with them through through um through due diligence and hard work and in, in agreements where we can um, supply them with what we have and, and want to supply them with. And then they have the tools and the skills and the capabilities and the support from us to distribute the systems as, as easily and as efficiently and as cost-effectively as possible. Um, and then their their responsibility to us is to um share share the stories and share the impact and share the um the, the evaluation of, of the solutions that we've donated to them um so currently we donate um to the dominican republic um primarily out of the united states and that's because um it's a close neighbor of yours in in the u.s and in there's there's a you know um a a, a neighborly way of thinking um when it comes to circumstances like this so you know here in australia a lot of donations are, are requested to go to papua new guinea or, or the south pacific because you know we have a lot of connections with those countries as we should and so there's a lot of awareness that we need to do more and, and that's that's where the pool comes from um but we we donate lights to you know madagascar kenya tanzania um india wow. Cambodia, um you know all, all, all over the world and that's a network that we've built up over the last six or so years and, and it continues to grow but um it's extremely difficult um extremely hard to manage the logistics extremely hard to justify the cost of the logistics to to our donors um we've worked for six years trying to reduce our logistics costs we've worked for six years to try and build partnerships with the you know the big courier and freight companies um because of what we do um and it is without a doubt being the hardest thing we've had to do within within the charity um there's there's a yeah it's a it's a tough call um and hopefully our relationship and our partnership can blossom to start solving that that problem where was um i'm curious where was the first country you you shipped to um outside of australia and what country were the, you the most excited to get into um so the very very first 
Um, the very, very, very first test we did was um, out of a very, very prestigious, um, very expensive private school in Shanghai. Um, wow. To a very, very, very remote, um, impoverished school in Somalia. Mm. And we did that um, primarily, we, we did that for two reasons. One, our, our, our lights at the time were made in a factory just outside of Shanghai, but the, the Chinese culture isn't necessarily very charitable. And um, we felt that if we could prove the concept in a country, in an environment, and in a school that um, was so alienated from, you know, the, the the rest of the globe from from that perspective, and then deliver lights to one of the most hardest, most remote, most underserved communities and places in the world. If we could do that, then we could we can we can build on you know. So we we took that as the hardest challenge, and and uh, some amazing stories and impact came out of that. And that was late fifteen, I think, um, early sixteen, and then the very first proper. Um, media coverage uh, story was was out of a school here in South Brisbane, mm -hmm. and we sent lights to Papua New Guinea, our, our closest neighbour, um, and that was all over the news here in in Australia um, for a long time, and, and that generated a huge amount of momentum and and um, and, and awareness, and and um, that that sort of propelled us forward quite yeah. quite well. So wow. that was the first one. Wow, that is exciting to hear stuff stories. Um, so, Simon, please tell us how can our listeners connect with you to Porcelabari or learn more about you? Um, so we, they can, anyone can go onto our website. Um, it's SolarBuddy, S-O-L-A-R-B-U-D-D-Y dot org, O-R-G. Um, and there's everything you need to learn about what we do, why we do it, how we do it. Um, on there, they can donate on there, which obviously would be very, very grateful for people to do that. Um, and, and every donation results in, in a light being donated to a child. Um, somewhere in the world, you can select where that where you want that light to go. Um, I have my own website, which is simondoble.com. I do speaking and, and whatnot. So if anyone wants to book me as a keynote then then i'm more than happy to turn up and, and have a chat about this on stage but uh, my whole all my fees go are donated to to the charity um and um yeah follow us on instagram uh solar underscore buddy um we have a campaign coming out for christmas to provide um birthing lighting kits across um across southern africa uh but there's thousands and thousands and thousands of of um, remote birthing suites in in in, in sub-Saharan Africa that and elsewhere in the world um, where where children are born um, in the most extreme circumstances where midwives are holding phones in their mouths to use the torture from the phones whilst they're performing operations to deliver children. Um, so you know, you know I've been aware of this issue for many years, but this Christmas, we're running a, a big campaign to send as many birthing uh, lighting kits as we can to 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 the to the places that need them, so mm -hmm. children can be born in a in a safe environment. So, when does that kick off? 
that kicks off uh mid-november i believe okay. um so you know keep an eye out for that um more the more support for that the the more the more children will be born in a in a healthier environment um and then every mother that gets uh is born um every child is born the mother gets to take home a, a little solar light for their for their child as well so um just little things like that but that's going to be a really nice christmas campaign and hopefully it's very successful yeah. um but yeah just just go to our website follow us on our instagrams um instagram and, and social media um share this story you know tell people about energy poverty and 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 what one light can do for a child to get a um be able to do their homework feel safe and 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 go to go to bed turning that little light off is the last thing they do feeling safe and secure and, and just share that story you know yeah um so one more thing before we let you go um which we could talk all day i already can tell i have so many more questions we'll have to do a follow-up at some point but um so what's one thing our listeners obviously you're a nonprofit, so we would love people to go on and donate um Otherwise, what is the one big ask that you would that you would ask of our listeners to be able to take action on your story? Is it something you need, something they can do? Um, what's your big ask? Um, oh, so many. No, um, I think you know we 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 survive off donations, and you know the more donations we receive, the the more impact we can have, and the more stories we can tell, and the more children's futures we can illuminate. But I think, you know, messages, stories, um, explanation, it's still such an unknown issue yeah. um, that just, just sharing the knowledge, just sharing the story, sharing the facts that this actually exists and there's organizations, not just us, but other organizations as well, um, that, that, that are determined to end this once and for all. So um, everybody's born into a, into a safe, toxic-free environment. And, and um, you know, not only is it helping people right now, but it's absolutely helping the climate. Um, you know, the more renewable energy solutions that are put out there um, helps helps the environment instantly. So um, so just sharing, sharing the knowledge. Um, I mean, the two things we exist for is awareness and impact. Mm -hmm. and, and if you can donate to create impact, then we will love you forever. But if you can share a story to create awareness, then we'll, we'll love you just as much. So, you know, that's all I can ask for. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Alisa, thanks for joining me this round. But Simon, thank you so much for being here, for sharing the Solar Buddy story and for everything you're doing to create impact and awareness around the world about energy poverty. So we appreciate you being here um, and we look forward to keeping up the relationship with you. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. It's been great chatting to you. So. Nice thank you, Simon. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for letting us know how do you be here and you're like an example for everyone here. So thank you. Thank you very much. That's nice to hear. It's beautiful to hear. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.